time is 5.30 p.m. and you are tuned to WPKN Independent Community Radio, broadcasting at 89.5 FM and streaming around the world at WPKN.org. Good evening. My name is Mike Murley and I host Mike Check here on WPKN every third and fifth Sunday. Welcome to everyone listening at 89.5 FM on your radio dial. Welcome to everyone streaming live or tuning into our podcast at WPKN.org. Each week on Mike Check, one of our hosts examines global, national, and regional issues and their effect on our local community. Just as the phrase Mike Check was used to mobilize people to create a human microphone during the Occupy movement and others, this weekly program seeks to amplify our community's many voices and bring them to the airwaves. Mike Check is followed on WPKN at 6 p.m. by another public affairs program, the Ralph Nader Radio Hour. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. We are about to hear my January 1st interview with Mahmoud Abbas, a Palestinian activist based right here in Connecticut. Mahmoud shares his story and speaks about his involvement with Bridgeport for Ceasefire, a diverse and inclusive grassroots campaign led by local Palestinians and Muslims that organized for a ceasefire resolution at the municipal level right here in Bridgeport. The resolution was conceived by and put forth by Bridgeport City Council member Jasmine Melendez whose community organizing and activism began six years ago when she and her family suffered a very personal tragedy and injustice. On May 9, 2017, her 15-year-old brother, Jason Negron, was shot and killed by Bridgeport police. Having that firsthand experience of being directly impacted by state violence right here, Jasmine powerfully decided that she wanted her first official act as a Bridgeport City Council member to be putting forth a ceasefire resolution in our conversation, Mahmoud speaks about the important historical context and the everyday conditions that Palestinians face in Gaza, as well as the occupied West Bank. And I'm very excited, very grateful, very honored to be joined uh, right now by my friend Mahmoud Abbas, who is a local Palestinian American activist based right here in Connecticut. And we are here in the studio live and, uh, and we're going to have uh, a conversation um, tonight. And uh, I'm just, I'm grateful that you could be here, Mahmoud. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. Thank you for, for joining me tonight. And uh, to start off, Mahmoud, um, I know that uh, this is not a, an easy conversation for you to have. I know it's a very difficult time right now. In, in Gaza, in the occupied West Bank. Um, but to start off, um, how are you doing? How are you, how are you and your family doing right now? Uh, we're doing fine for now. Um, everybody's healthy. Um, we haven't uh, had a lot of issues. Um, my in-laws still live in Jerusalem, so they're away from Gaza. I'm glad that everyone is doing okay as of now. Right. Um, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that, about your family's origins and uh, and their journey and, and their story. So I'm originally from uh, Palestine, a little city uh, near Galilee Sea, close to Lebanon. Um, my uh, grandparents were expelled in 1948 uh, during the 1948 war. Uh, they were expelled to uh, South Lebanon, where they lived in camps 
after they had their own houses and they had uh, their own businesses. And when the Zionists came through, they kicked a lot of uh, our people out of their cities. And as a matter of fact, part of my family went to Syria. The other went to Lebanon. My immediate family, my grandparents, both my grandparents, they did live in South Lebanon in a camp south of uh, Saida. It's called Ain uh, al And they lived there. They looked forward to going back home, uh, back to Palestine. Both my grandparents passed on. Their dreams still lived on. My dad had the same feeling. He wanted to go back. He also passed on, and I'm here uh, in the States. And I hope that someday I'll be able to go back and live there. Inshallah. Inshallah. And uh, my uh, wife's uh, family, they live in Jerusalem. And I married uh, to this beautiful woman, and, uh, and I married her. And it was my first opportunity to actually go and visit Palestine and visit Jerusalem um, about three times before we got married. And then I make it into a habit that every three or four years to go visit and see different cities, beautiful cities of Palestine, from Jerusalem to Ramallah to north part of uh, Palestine, I did make one trip or two trips to uh, to my um, homeland uh, in uh, near Galilee Sea. The city is called Hattin, and it's a famous city in the uh, Arab world. Uh, that's where there was a lot of uh, uh, a big battle happened in that area, and between the. Uh, between the Muslims and the Crusaders and end up having a peace treaty between between them and the Muslim end up winning the battle, but there was a peace treaty that happened at that time. And the city, the village is called Hattin. Thank you so much for sharing that, Brother Mahmoud. I think for a lot of people in Connecticut and elsewhere in the United States, what is happening right now and what they're seeing on the news and on their TV screens and on their, their phones and on social media is far away and is very removed. Your voice and your story is a reminder to anyone who might be listening right now that, that there are Palestinians that live right here in Connecticut um, and all across the United States who may have family in different parts of Palestine and, and are, are worried sick uh, about, uh, about what's happening right now. Correct. Uh, I do have uh, one of my ex-roommates who uh, was when I was going through college. He was from. He is from Gaza. Thank God, his family, him and his family, they are okay. They end up uh, moving, leaving, and they went to. Uh, they were one of the fortunate people to actually go to Egypt. Um, but for the longest time, I've been going back and forth with them, and uh, and you could imagine. Gaza being out of water, electricity, food, and he had no chance of actually getting internet because also, you know, internet and phone services were 
shut down by the Israeli forces. And uh, every time I send him a message, it will take about a week for him to respond and say, okay, he's doing okay. So um, I thank God that he is. I was hoping that the rest of the people in Gaza doing okay, but they are not. And speaking of which, and I know, again, I know that this is difficult to, to talk about, but I was wondering if you could talk about what you were feeling and thinking in the, you know, in the days immediately following October 7th. Well, it's a, it's a very weird question, you know, because um, um, things happen and people look at it from one side of the story. And uh, it seems like everybody forgot the origin of what has happened, right? So October 7, it feels like it's a mark of a beginning, but it's not. It's a continuing episode of what's going on in the Middle East or in Palestine. So we had multiple episodes from 1948 to 1967 to 1982 to uh, just name it, 2009, 2014, 2019, and now 2023, where this thing escalated. And I guess the media has been going going on very strong on on this uh, issue. Um, and people need to actually look at what has happened in the past to escalate to this to this position to October 7 after October 7 i mean i do feel very bad because from October 7 until now there is over 23,000 people that got killed by israeli bombs that it's shared by us weapons i mean they are used using U.S. weapons to kill the, those Palestinians. And uh, over 50,000 people that got injured as well. And not the, that's not the only thing. They have all borders are sealed. Whatever Israeli forces allow for the Gazan to have, which is 50 trucks or 20 trucks per day, versus that they have about 500 trucks that used to enter per day. And now it's gone down to 20 to 50 trucks. You could imagine the suffering that these people have. They don't have electricity. They don't have water. Let alone even before October 7, people did not have a good drinking water. According to the UN Human Rights, the water, 97% of the water in Gaza, you cannot drink it. You can... You know, everybody has to drink bottled water. It's not drinkable. It's not like in the U.S. where you open your faucet and you can drink water. This is just a basic necessity of what people in Gaza were suffering. And now the continuation goes on on and on. Every time they shut down the electricity. They didn't have power since October 7. And that makes me feel that I feel, you know, when we're just sitting at home, you turn on the light and you have a light. Just imagine you've been over 85 days with no electricity, no water, no food. You have the basic, even bread, you, they don't have. 
Thank you for sharing all that, Mahmoud. And that is uh, really important to think about and to and to be aware of, like you said. And if, um, if you could talk as well, in addition to that important context that you laid out as far as as Gaza and how the conditions in Gaza didn't begin in the days following October 7th in terms of, you know, Gaza is referred to as an open-air prison, the, the world's largest open-air prison. Absolutely. And some people have even taken it a step further and said it's actually more like an open-air concentration camp because uh, calling it an open-air prison implies that uh, that the people living in Gaza did did something wrong, committed some kind of crime to, to end up, because, you know, that's with the prison idea, you know, you you know, we associate prisons with, with someone did a crime, committed a crime and ended up uh, incarcerated. Well, these people are, you know, children uh, of all ages, you know, children, families, people of all ages who, uh, it's not that they committed a crime, it's just that they were, you know, were born Palestinian and, and they are in Gaza. Would you say that that's accurate? Right. I mean, you're talking about Gaza. Gaza is about 139 square miles. I mean, that's that's the whole Gaza Strip, 139 square miles. If you want to measure it, it's probably half the size of Washington, D.C. And it's 25 miles long by seven miles at the widest is seven miles wide. Um, and there is 2.3 million people living in that area. 2.3 million people living in that area. And just imagine the the only reason that they could live there is because they cannot expand horizontally, right? Because you're surrounded. You can go only up. And that explains why there is a lot of casualties among civilians, okay? Because people are living in buildings, eight, ten-story building. Each building has two to four uh, apartments per per flat, so that's you're talking about forty flats times that's forty families. So if a bomb drops, that's four forty families wiped out. Okay, and Gaza has been surrounded by it is surrounded by Israel. It has border with Israel from the north, east, west. The only the only um, area that it has it's along. Egypt, which is about, I would say, two mile long, okay? And this two mile long is with Egypt, but it's also controlled by Israel. So nothing is allowed in there, okay? Gaza does have a a small strip of water. Gaza, even though they have a a port, but they are not allowed to bring in any supply through that port because it's controlled by Israel. Just to to give you an example, I mean, you're talking about stuff that is banned, you know, from from Gaza, that they cannot bring it to to Gaza. You're talking about shampoo, conditioner, mint shaving cream. They claim that those are um, luxuries, which it's not. It's something that you use for all your grooming, you know. Um, Also, exit and entry into Gaza is prohibited by sea or air. You cannot actually fly out of Gaza because there is no airport. There used to be one. Israel destroyed it. Okay? 
the only and there is three areas where you can exit from Gaza two through Israel and one from Egypt and it's controlled by the Israeli government think about one one other thing that uh, spaghetti was or pasta was forbidden to enter Gaza and I guess John Kerry he visited Gaza and he wanted pasta for his lunch or dinner and they said you cannot have it because we don't have pasta and they said what so they end up lifting the band of pasta because of John Kerry that's like you know boggles the mind right I mean you know things like this it's it's you know it's ne- it's not necessities but it's part of things that we all take for granted here in the states yeah a ban on pasta a ban on you Co- know coriander cilantro is another thing so Cil- oh yeah cilantro cilantro you can't have it also so so it's these so you know you're basically laying out these conditions and these circumstances that that Gazans have been subjected to for a number of years now. Right. And before October 7th. And and so, <clears throat> you know, there hasn't been as much coverage uh, recently as well about uh, the occupied West Bank. Palestinians, rather, who live in the occupied West Bank, you know, all, are also subject to, differ- to, to very specific conditions and realities um, that I think uh, many people here in in Connecticut or in the U.S. are not familiar with. And so right. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, what goes on in the occupied West Bank and some of the realities, the everyday realities that Palestinians find themselves in. Yeah, West Bank is not anything better than the Gazan. They have a little bit more freedom, okay? But recently, since October 7, it's been really getting escalated. Every day and every night, the Israeli army, they invade what you call a country, which is a Palestinian authority, which is not, you know, the, it's like Canada invading U.S. every day and, you know, going into Buffalo day in and day out. It's the same thing. So we have a Palestinian authority that we have a government that controls the Palestinian land, which is supposed to be West Bank and Gaza, and the West Bank is controlled by the Palestinian government. It's supposed to be. And Israel is just going in every day and every every day, every night. They are actually arresting people. Since October 7, over 5,000 people have been arrested. Over 500 children and men have been shot and killed. People are killed in cold blood. There is videos of disturbing videos of some of those children. They just you know they they get injured and you can see the uh, the israeli soldiers step out of their truck and shoot the palestinian you know palestinian kid till they are de- till they're dead so there is over 500 people that got murdered in in the west bank as well okay so there is no the, recently israel invaded um a city in jenin they went and they opened every um, exchange, you know, like where you exchange your money, every exchange, and they took all the money out of there. You know, they forced the owner to give them all the money that they have. 
it's it's fight not just against Hamas. It's not against an organization. This is a fight against the Palestinian. They want the Palestinian out of their land. Okay, they you know in the West Bank even before October seven, you cannot if it's your own land you cannot put a well to bring in your own water out of your own land. You cannot put a well without the authorization of the Israeli government, which is in theory, you are in the Palestinian, under the Palestinian Authority land, but yet Israel has to approve it. What kind of oppression you're talking about? Between, there is a lot of Palestinians that go and work in, you know, in Israel under special permits. And every time they go through, they have to go across the border. And it's, it is humiliating to actually just cross the border between the West Bank and Israel. Thank you so much, Mahmoud, for, for, for sharing all that and painting that picture for, for everyone. And cause again, I think this conversation, this is so important, you know, this, uh, to have this conversation and to, to have you share your voice and your perspective as someone who lives right here in Connecticut, um, and is Palestinian and has, uh, family in Palestine right now and, and has just, um, this understanding and these, you know, this perspective that you can share. And so I wanted to say as well, cause we have, um, a few minutes left. I wanted to say, uh, and acknowledge that around the country right now, uh, communities have been organizing for municipal ceasefire resolutions. Cities like Detroit and others have already passed such resolutions at their local municipal level. And here in Bridgeport, there's a campaign happening uh, to do the same thing. So, Brother Mahmoud, I was wondering if you could uh, speak a little bit about this campaign here in Bridgeport, what has been happening, and where things are at currently. So, um, we already have uh, two long meetings with the uh, with the council. Uh, there was about 20 speakers that spoke on this issue. The miscellaneous committee met last week, and now it's going to go to the next phase, which is uh, there is a meeting tomorrow. So the, the council will meet on the ceasefire resolution to end this, this war. Um, and we have another 10 speakers, and hopefully... Uh, we're going to have uh, a lot of our communities appear on uh, on site to actually support this ceasefire as well. And we do have, uh, you know, multiple supporters from different from uh, uh, from our Jewish friends and and as well as Christian friends that they are going to come in and and support us in this resolution. We need you to come out there to the city hall and show us your support and solidarity with the uh, Palestinian uh, just being there and the council seeing uh, the amount of people that this for this cause will give us a big push to uh, to get this approved. And when this is approved, uh, it's going to go to uh, to the senators in Connecticut as well as uh, probably the pres- President Biden as well. Yes, and, and Bridgeport would be the first community in all of Connecticut Absolutely. to pass a ceasefire resolution right, if right. If, uh, if all goes well tomorrow night. 
Right. And so um, once again, that's going to be 6.15 p.m. tomorrow night right. at Bridgeport City Hall, which is 45 Lion Terrace. That's L-Y-O-N Terrace right here in Bridgeport. That's in downtown Bridgeport. Um, so that is 6.15 p.m. Bridgeport City Hall tomorrow night. That's Tuesday, January 2nd, 2024. 6.15 p.m. tomorrow night at Bridgeport City Hall. 45 Lion Terrace is the address. And that will be the Bridgeport City Council meeting, the full council meeting. Uh, the full Bridgeport City Council meets twice a month or once every two weeks. And so the last one was December 18th. Right. And before that, it was December 4th. And uh, like you're saying, there were powerful testimonies um, at both at both of those city full city council meetings, testimonies in support of this ceasefire resolution. And... Uh, Mahmoud, I know that you had spoken, you had given a, a testimony yourself um, at the uh, the city before the city council, and right. I was wondering if you could speak briefly about 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 that, about your testimony, and uh, you know, and what you were feeling when you went up there, and and what inspired you to to go up there and share what you shared. Well, it it was uh, it was an experience because it, you know you you're speaking in front of a whole bunch of people and. Uh, Especially in front of the council, so it was uh, it was a great experience. But at the same time, it showed my immediate attachment to my country. It's the least I could do to speak about Palestine and to show what type of experience that I had, you know, during my visits. I mean, we we have a short time, but I have a a small story in in 2019 when I visited Al Aqsa Mosque. Uh, we got uh, um, the Israeli soldiers, they invaded the mosque. We were kicked out out of our own mosque. And while we're sitting, an Israeli soldier came behind uh, me and my brother we were sitting down and they came behind our back and they pointed a gun to our back and they told us to uh, get out of there. And just imagine yourself, you know, walking out with knowing that there is a gun pointed at you and you might get shot or killed and it's it's not a good feeling but uh, that's why I wanted to come out and and speak about that at the city council and ceasefire resolution thank you so much for sharing that Mahmoud and, and I'm so sorry that you you went through that and that you you know that that that, that happened and, and I, I I mean I can't even imagine going through that and experiencing that and what I would be feeling if I was experiencing that, how terrified I would be, like you said, that I would be shot right. just for trying to pray at right. my house of worship. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, I thank you for sharing that. I thank you for, for your, your testimony, um, at the Bridgeport city council. And, you know, we do have just a short, Time left, but I was wondering if, if you're involved with any other organizations. Um, I know that the Bridgeport Islamic Community Center yeah, is involved in this ceasefire resolution campaign, um, as well as just in general. It's a very grassroots campaign involving Palestinians and Muslims from Bridgeport and the greater Bridgeport area um, at the leadership, uh, at the grassroots level uh, in, in, in this organizing. But uh, are, are there any organizations you're with as well or anything that you'd like to add Thank I just so want to say, uh, just join us for prayer to cease fire and violence and return all the Palestinian civilian hostages 
an immediate entry of humanitarian aid, just basic stuff. Finally, we hope that for a long-lasting peace between the Palestinians and Israelis, every human deserves to live peacefully, regardless of their religion, race, or color. And uh, I do thank you, and you know, for inviting me and on this show. Thank you. Thank you, Mahmoud. Mahmoud Abbas, um, Palestinian-American activist based here in Connecticut. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. And once again, that interview recorded on January 1st was between myself and Mahmoud Abbas, a Palestinian activist based right here in Connecticut and an organizer with Bridgeport for Ceasefire, the diverse grassroots campaign that successfully organized for municipal ceasefire resolution right here in Bridgeport. The night after our conversation, Bridgeport became the first city in Connecticut to pass a ceasefire resolution in hopes of ending the ongoing violence taking place in Israel, Gaza, and the West Bank. This has been Mike Check, and I'm Mike Murley. Be sure to tune in next Sunday night at 5.30 for another episode. Next up, we have the Ralph Nader Radio Hour right here on WPKN 89.5 FM in Bridgeport. Followed, of course, by Cool Blues and Rare Records with Al Bell. So please stay tuned for that.